there's there's no love like a parent's love for their child so um that does make it difficult but equally very rewarding because I think that parents are so unbelievably grateful for what you've done for their child whether it's just put them on a milk-free diet and it means they're not constipated anymore you know like just the tiniest thing to you know putting a child on parental nutrition because their gut is damaged from chemotherapy you know it's like different different degrees of what you've done but actually at the end of it you've generally got a very grateful parent that's like oh thank you so much for what you've done for my child which is you know heartwarming welcome to the dietetics digest podcast a podcast that helps you understand more about the different areas of dietetics and nutrition and what others are doing within them We do this by talking to inspiring and influential individuals that are advancing practice in some way, shape and form. Our mission is to create a resource that helps dietitians to build, grow and share ideas with each other to help advance their practice and the practice of others. I am your host, Aaron Boyson. This episode is going to be a little bit different this week. It's our first episode on the topic of paediatrics. Now, I didn't plan to do an episode on paediatrics, but when this guest first messaged me on Instagram, I couldn't turn down the opportunity to have such an esteemed guest on the podcast. Now, I originally knew about her from the work she does with Great Ormond Street Hospital and the educational lectures she produced. But overall, she is one of the most enthusiastic and passionate paediatric dietitians out there. Now, our guest on today's episode is Chloe Elliott. Chloe has spent her entire dietetic career specialising in paediatrics. She has previously worked at Bristol Royal Hospital for Children before moving to London for her role in an international centre of excellence you may have heard of called Great Ormond Street Hospital. Chloe has expertise in the management of neurological conditions and rehabilitation, in addition to gastroenterology, including food allergies. This episode is perfect for those that are kind of interested in paediatrics, want to know what it's about and trust me if you're not interested in pediatrics chloe will change your mind thank you for joining me today on the podcast i think um when i first got your message about interest in the podcast it it sort of was um perfect timing because i recently had some experiences with transition of care of um of patients and it made me really interested in this area and uh, i definitely as a as a student had an experience on say placement where I got my placement through I realized my supervisor was a it said specialist pediatric I can't remember exactly what it said but it's a specialist pediatric dietitian of some area and I said to my lecturer it's not going to be all pediatrics is it? <laughs> that was a good thing <laughs> It's not going to be all paediatrics, is it? And she goes, oh, no, probably. You'll get to see other areas too. It's just just your supervisor. But it wasn't. It was all paediatrics. And I absolutely loved my first A placement. And then for my first four weeks of B placement, I, I was in paediatrics as well. So I never actually... At- did a nutritional assessment on an adult until I reached, uh, I think, uh, week five of placement. So, uh, But Chloe, what first generated your interest in paediatrics? Did you, did you always want to go into paediatrics? Or? I can't remember when I had the exact moment, but... Initially, when I was in school, I thought I would be a primary school teacher, like always thought I want to work with children and things. Um, and obviously school holidays were an added bonus of being a teacher. And then I watched Super Size versus Super Skinny, as you do. And obviously it had a dietitian on there. And I was like, actually, no, that sounds really interesting. I'd quite like to get involved in that. So from then onwards, I thought I would just work with adults. Wasn't really quite sure how the whole pediatric element would be involved with it. And then when I went to do my placement two, which is obviously the 12 week one, the first six weeks were at Bristol Children's Hospital. And I was a bit like you, I was a bit like, oh, like I'm doing like, that's quite intense. That's quite specialist. I'm only a B placement student. And then on, I think my first morning on the ward, we were on the renal unit 
And um, someone was talking about a like a three month old baby that needed a kidney transplant. And I actually ended up fainting on the floor. And then I was a bit like, I don't think I want to do pediatrics if I can't like remain conscious during all these difficult uh, discussions. And but no, after, after the six weeks, I was like, I actually love pediatrics. It's so rewarding. You feel so important. Even when I was a student, like I felt so important and really valued by everyone. And then obviously I went to the Royal Infirmary, which is kind of the adult version at, at Bristol. And I did that for six weeks. And although don't get me wrong, I did I did enjoy that as well. Even though I'd only done the first six weeks in pediatrics, I felt like I'd actually grown so many skills from that. I think people worry, oh, what if I do all my training in pediatrics? I won't be able to apply it to adults. When actually I felt like I had, I'd picked up all the basic skills of kind of assessing an inpatient, whether it was pediatrics or adults, and it was all very transferable. But from, yeah, being at Bristol for the six weeks, I was like, no, I definitely want to go into pediatrics at some point, at kind of the earliest opportunity. But I think when you're at uni, you're always kind of taught, okay, so you do a band five job in adults, and then you do that for a couple of years, and then you go to, you get your band six job, whether that's in pediatrics or you know, some sort of specialist area in adults. So I thought I would have to do that, kind of my um, stint in adults, as it were. And then I, yeah, just as I was writing my dissertation, I had a couple of weeks left um, before I had to hand it in. And that was like the, the final bit of my degree, really. A band five pediatric job came up. It was kind of like a band five slash six. You know, you could, it was a progression post sort of thing. And it said, you know, not suitable for a newly qualified dietitian. So I was a bit like, you know, I've got so much other stuff going on. Can I really go through the application process? Process and potentially an interview um, and my tutor was like no you can and you should <laughs> so I ended up applying for it and actually got it which was just crazy and it kind of all started from there really you know I am where I am today because I went to that band site pediatric post you know did that for a year in a it was a little district general hospital in Somerset so really small team you know quite busy but they gave me all the time that I needed to, to learn really and kind of progress and then yeah I went on to Bristol Children's Hospital for just over a year and then I've been at Gosford almost the last four, four years so I've been qualified six years which is crazy <laughs> can't believe that's all happened in the past six years um, of just being pediatrics and I've just loved it it's been so fantastic I've been really lucky actually so taking that initial jump into an area where you were sort of umming and ahhing about whether you're actually qualified for this role whether you whether you should take this role actually sort of you'd say launched your career into pediatrics yeah absolutely and I think when you it's it feels crazy because you know when you're in pediatrics when you want to go into pediatrics you have to start somewhere so you, you know when you have your first pediatric job you would have come from adults or come from being a student and you literally are starting from ground zero you know you've literally got no knowledge in anything <laughs> apart from what you potentially might have learned on placement or what you potentially might have learned at university so I remember being there on like my first day in that band five job just thinking like I have literally no idea what I'm doing and that's so scary that's so scary to put yourself in a position where you just think I have no idea what I'm doing but yeah, they, they were, as I said, the team was so lovely. They were like, you know, I'm one of those people that to learn, I just want to crack on and do it. And then I'll ask if kind of I need some help and support or whatever. Um, so they completely were like, you know, we'll let you learn how you learn best sort of thing. So they were just super supportive. And I think when you are, you know, I would say to anyone who wants to go for a job in pediatrics, regardless how unqualified they think they are, just absolutely go for it because you've you've got nothing to lose you know even in the application writing process and the potential interview process you'll still gain so much from that and the feedback you get from it is so important so 
I am very much a like don't shy away from any of those sort of opportunities because you think you're underqualified because you just never know. When people say paediatrics is really specialist, is it you've obviously mentioned about how that shouldn't put anyone off, it shouldn't make people want to go for the roles and as long as there's a support structure in place and the, the team support if they can grow and enhance their skills well enough. Is it is it more specialist than adults, would you say? I think I mean there's a lot of crossover. Like if you have a child that's faltering growth and, and they need to put on weight, it's the exact same as if you had like a care of the elderly patient that also needs to put on weight. They need to eat more and you need to so it's like food fortification vice potential supplements so like every supplement they have in adults they probably have a pediatric version for it um so that that is the same you know it doesn't matter whether you need to put on weight and eat more as, as an adult or a child it it you know those principles remain the same and in adults you see things like you know milk-free diets or lactose-free diets and gluten-free diets equally in pediatrics if you have a child that needs to avoid milk <laughs> the advice remains the same as if you were seeing an adult that needs to avoid dairy sort of things so there is there is a lot of crossover obviously you have more you know in terms of like infant formulas those sort of specialist infant formulas you know that's something completely new and unique to pediatrics that you don't have in the adult world but you learn those things, you know, you pick them up on the job, you know, every patient you see, you get better at doing that milk allergy, you do better at um, that, that weaning advice sort of thing. So, you know, like if you, if you want to learn and you have that motivation to do it, like you'll get there, like you'll get there by just doing it basically, as opposed to, you know, reading all those books about it and going on all those webinars or whatever like you learn the most by actually just cracking on and going for it yeah i mean the principles are the same but some of the, some of the tools you might use are slightly different so you might estimate requirements slightly differently and obviously the you might not just look at weight trends you might look at say a, a growth trend a growth on a growth chart and it's just a slightly different way of framing it but i'll tell you what i was scared going from pediatrics to adults on placement i thought oh no my supervisor's going to think I'm useless. I can't do anything with adults. I don't. I don't. When the last time I used the Henry equation was, I don't. I don't know how to. Yeah, I mean, me Penj. I don't know where my Penj is. I assume I've still got it. I don't remember actively throwing it away, but I certainly haven't looked at my Penj in a very long time. Yeah, so it's it's got a few. I think the the principles are the same, but the tools might be slightly different. So when it comes to newly qualified dietitians or even dietetic students, what? Where do you think they start off with this? Do they just go through the course or is there anything they can do to sort of maybe get a head start if if there's more? Because I have seen more sort of band five roles in pediatrics and early starting roles in pediatrics. So absolutely, yeah. is there anything they can do to, how would you suggest they sort of start it off? Or you could describe it as getting a leg up on the competition, but sort of how would you suggest they start off their interest and develop their knowledge in this area? I think if you think that you're interested in paediatrics, I think, although it's a little bit difficult in, in COVID times, like I think shadowing a dietitian for a morning or a day or an afternoon or whatever has a lot of value because I do think you can take from that. You can either go there and be like, that was absolutely awful. Staring at sick children all day is absolutely not for me. That at least you know at that point, <laughs> that at least not at that time in your career, are you ready to kind of investigate the, the pediatric side of things? But I think shadowing or even just speaking to a dietitian, like one of the reasons that I messaged you to do about this podcast is because for me doing all the student study days and things, I get a lot of emails from students to say, can I just, can I just have like 10 minutes of your time to ask you a few questions? And like pretty much like the ones you're asking me, like, like what can I do how did you get into it what do you suggest I do sort of thing so just like having a conversation with someone just to 
kind of ask questions about it, I think is really valuable. I think if you were on placement and didn't necessarily have that much pediatrics as part of your timetable, just highlighting it to your supervisor. Oh, by the way, I'd, I think I would find it really interesting to go to like the neonatal unit for the morning if that were possible, you know, because I do think as, you know, someone that has students, it's, it's nice to hear what they're interested in and it's nice to be able to give them that as opposed to, you know, making up a timetable for them that you think they'll get a lot out of, but actually hearing from them what they'd like to get out of it is, is really valuable. And I think, it, you know, if you're at that Point. You know, I started doing student study days um, into paediatrics. I think it was in 2019 because, yeah, it was definitely pre-pandemics. We were all in a room together with no socially distance or masks. So that was definitely pre-2020. And then, yes, I did one for students and then did one for qualified dietitians because people started asking me to do it for them. And then we moved virtual. And then from the feedback that I get from people that come to those study days is I really wasn't sure about pediatrics, but I'd act, you know, you, you, you and your team have made it sound so interesting. I'd really like to explore it a little bit further. And equally, I haven't necessarily seen this on a feedback form, but I'm sure some people probably think I was interested in it, but I'm probably not now <laughs> from, from what you've said about it. So I think that that might be a way of a little bit of an eye opener because I try to make the program as, as general as possible. Like this is what you can see. This is the basics. Here's a little specialist areas, although to fit it all into kind of a seven hour day is so difficult because there's so much I could spend probably three weeks doing a study day about it, but trying to kind of pick those like key elements so people can work out for themselves. Is it something they're going to be interested in or is it something they're not? And then, no, I agree. Like the amount of like band five slash band six pediatric jobs that I see are ever increasing. And I think that's because people people generally struggle to recruit into pediatrics. Like there is a national shortage of pediatric dietitians. So I'd like to think that I'm trying to do my bit to um, kind of refresh the workforce and kind of get people more interested into pediatrics. But I would say if you, if you know, if you see a band five job, you, you know that you're kind of interested in going into it, then absolutely apply and hope that your experience in in shadowing or going to study days or you know all things like that are all gonna work in your favor for those points obviously pediatrics we've talked about some of the similarities but what are some of the differences between pediatrics and maybe areas you would see in pediatrics quite commonly that you might not see in sort of maybe with adult patients or yeah i think i mean the main one being neonatal um you obviously wouldn't see that in in any of the adult world um, but I also could you, could you describe what neonatal actually is? Because I don't I don't know if a lot of um... okay. So neonatal I, by that I mean neonatal intensive care unit. So the babies that are born either incredibly preterm or are born with something or some sort of condition that means that they are very sick from birth and need support and treatment to be able to to get them to ward level and then home. So it's more kind of those things like. Um, I used to work in surgery, so you'd get things like diaphragmatic hernias or gastroscisis. So when their gut is basically there's a hole in their abdominal wall, so their gut end up ends up developing outside of their body in the womb. So they they'll be born, so they'll obviously initially have to have surgery to try and pop everything back in again, <laughs> which can be a, a timely process. So that was kind of more what what I describe in the the neonatal term. So obviously that's something you'd never see in the adult world. And what makes paediatrics so incredibly different to adults, regardless of the speciality, is you have to deal with parents. <laughs> so although you're dealing with that sick child and infant, your actual main source of 
well, you're probably your main source of information and discussions and difficult conversations are with the parents. The ones that aren't even sick are probably fit and well, but are so emotionally like driven, you know, is 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 difficult. Like it's incredibly difficult and they can be angry. They can be sad probably not even at you it's just the whole situation but you're in there and you're kind of dealing with it and that's difficult and I think that even now I think now six years down the line I can I I think I'm quite good at coping with the angry parents and, and all of these situations um but they're still difficult and they take experience that's not something you can learn in a book <laughs> It, it takes you, you know, being yelled at by parents a million times to finally know what to do and how to kind of cope with it, really. And I'm sure in the adult world, you know, you get carers and, and all that sort of thing as part of it. But there's, you know, like there's there's no love like a parent's love for their child, you know. So um, that does make it difficult, but equally very rewarding, because I think that parents are so unbelievably grateful for what you've done for their child, whether it's just put them on a milk-free diet and it means they're not constipated anymore, you know, like just the tiniest thing to, you know, putting a child on parental nutrition because their gut is damaged from chemotherapy. You know, it's like different different degrees of what you've done, but actually at the end of it, you've generally got a very grateful parent that's like, oh, thank you so much for what you've done for my child, which is, you know, heartwarming. I mean, my own experiences on, on placement, I uh, didn't experience any sort of... Um angry or frustrated parents understandably as they as they would be going through a lot of those periods but maybe my uh, supervisor chose uh, certain parents for me <laughs> oh, <laughs> when you've got a student you have to go to the nicest families <laughs> yeah and i mean obviously there's there's families that are are nice but under those sorts of circumstances understandably they would be quite frustrated and angry but yeah i mean yeah there's definitely and even I've seen seen it with um, parents on placement as a student there's definitely an advocacy for nutrition from the parents which sort of brings yeah. nutrition to the forefront because they're thinking about it and they want to know how they're going to get their child fed what's going to happen with the nutrition and I think it's a part that they they think that they can control and be involved in you know like with with everything else that can be going on with a child medically that the, that parent might only be able to feed their child like so they want to be in, involved with it as much as possible so for the children that are you know like like losing weight or whatever at the same time as having chemotherapy like they can't change the chemotherapy like they can't change that element of it but when it comes to feeding them they want to try like try doing this or try doing that and you know it can be so anxiety provoking particularly for the patients that I see undergoing transplant, they'll be with us for two months minimum. And that's if they've done well. You know, they could be with us for six months, eight months, etc. And all these parents have is time, you know, time to sit in that room. Children aren't allowed to leave that room. Parents can leave it if they want to, but they generally want to be with their child the whole time. This is all they have to think about. It's all they have to think about that they only drank 100 mils of water that morning, you know, like. So it's um, it can be really anxiety provoking for them. And, and it's really challenging. But equally, you know, you become their best friend <laughs> to some extent <laughs> going in to see them. I think there are some patients over the past year that I think I've seen more than my friends and family because I just have to go and talk to them every single day. So, I mean, that sounds like the paediatric dietitians are really a valued member of the MDT. And I think that's a lot due to the importance the parents put on nutrition for the children. Yeah. I can also imagine due to the importance put on nutrition that that also creates a lot more stress within the role of a pediatric dietitian due to the parental anxiety. Yeah, no, we have um, ward rounds twice a week, sit down and it's like, 
if I'm not there, that or the dietitian's not there, you know, like you'll be hounded until you go there because you're so key, you know, to the parents, but also like the doctors and nurses, like they want your opinion, they want they want you to be involved because they just value like our input so much, which is so lovely, you know. I I love being hounded down. <laughs> So any dietitian that's sort of out there and maybe says uh, they don't feel appreciated enough or they want they feel like they're sometimes overlooked. Come and work with me. <laughs> well, there might be um, an area where you could uh, possibly explore this area and uh, maybe shadow a pediatric dietitian to really ex- experience that unique area. So neonates is an, a unique area. Is any other unique areas to pediatrics? I mean, I guess like, for example, if you look at cardiac, obviously in adults, some of what you see might be um, healthy eating related advice style, like so people like post heart attack and that sort of thing, or maybe have heart disease as kind of a consequence of their own lifestyle sort of thing. So that's, could, that's probably quite adult specific, but in, in pediatrics, you obviously get the infants that are born with congenital heart disease and, and things like that. So although the specialties are the same, you know, in adults and pediatrics, you have people that their hearts don't work properly. The, the consequence of it and kind of the cause you know how it's come about is is very different sort of thing i think i've i've never actually done metabolics but obviously you get the the children that are born with pku and um trying to think of any other metabolic dietitian off the top of my head maple syrup urine disorder something along those lines um all of those ones, yeah there we go there we go um obviously they're all diagnosed in kind of the newborn screening sort of thing so the dietitians as part of that are working with the families who have literally had this life-changing diagnosis for their child not only that it's so dietetic heavy you know low protein diets and those sort of things um as a real key part of the medical management of it although you, you can see the, the you know the adult with these conditions it's a very different like your involvement as part of that isn't quite the initial stages where they were just mm-hmm. diagnosed very emotive parents obviously distraught that their child has this diagnosis that they've never probably never heard of before I'm just something there's anything else I think I mean generally the specialties are the same apart from obviously there's no geriatrics and there's neonatal instead everything remains the, the same it's just as I said the consequence of, of how they've got that condition is probably different yeah, I never thought about that. The way the patient got the disease is very different, and that probably does play into the way they respond to medical care, how you support them as an MDT. And I think this comes back to what we discussed previously. Similar principles, but different tools are used. Could you tell us more about the differences in renal dietetics, respiratory dietetics, uh, pediatric intensive care? Maybe we could start with renal? Yeah, so I guess with renal, there's, uh, you know, everything that you see in renal is probably something that that child has been born with, like congenital nephrotic syndrome and things like that. And what what is, I guess, challenging in all specialities of pediatrics, where there's something really severe has happened, either congenital nephrotic syndrome or heart disease, not only do you have to manage that from a nutrition point of view, you've actually got to get them to grow as well. So if they've got really awful vomiting or work of breathing or any of these things, you've got to manage all those symptoms, but you've also got to make sure they've had enough nutrition that they're actually going to grow as well and develop because it's so important, you know, the first three years of life to make sure that that child has everything they need. But actually, if they're on a ventilator, really fluid restricted, that is is such a barrier um, to those things moving forward. But equally, if you've got a ventilated pediatric patient and a ventilated adult patient, you know, they're still going to have much lower requirements because they're um, 
not necessarily breeding for themselves and things like that. So yeah, there are there are similarities between the specialties, but growth is so is so important. You know, an adult if they've not gained weight for a year, that's probably a good thing to be honest. But it, in pediatrics, it's so key to you know it'll affect them for the rest of the life if you don't get the nutrition right. So yeah, no pressure for us. <laughs> Of course, no pressure. No pressure at all. It's a very stress-free role, I imagine. I think our discussion so far has done a really good job at describing the rewarding yet challenging job of being a paediatric dietitian. And I know you do a lot of these open evenings and educational events for student dietitians and newly qualified dietitians about how to get into paediatrics. What are some of the most common questions they ask you at these events? Um, I think, I mean, one thing that I hear a lot from I mean, not even necessarily student dietitians, but just general people in life is that when when they hear that I work at Great Ormond Street or that I'm a paediatric dietitian, they, they always say, and this is students as well, oh, I couldn't see sick kids every day. No, I couldn't do it. It'd be too sad. Like, I really love children. I couldn't see them like that every day. But I think, well, I really love children and I really love working with them, hence why I'm doing it. And you could not work in paediatrics if you dislike children. I think you'd be pretty bad at your job, essentially. But I, I don't think, I don't necessarily see them. I mean, one, when you walk around the ward, you're not necessarily looking at a child on seconds from death each time. I mean, and also, although you could argue that if a child's in hospital, they are sick, they are probably sick to a different degree as opposed to, you know, they're not all just about to die. You know, some of them might just be there for a leg operation or whatever. And I think, I don't know, I just I just don't see it, the sad side of it, how um, other people might see it. And I think it's, I think the reward from the job and working with these children and families and doing your bit to improve their quality of life totally outweighs the fact that you might have days where you actually feel a bit sad because someone's died, which you do have. You know, children, unfortunately, will die in in this kind of role of care. But I I just find it really rewarding. So I wouldn't want someone to think, oh, I'm not going to go into paediatrics. I'm going to see dying kids every day. It's not like that at all. And also, if you wanted to do paediatrics, but you weren't sure about the acute setting, there are obviously community paediatric jobs where they mainly just see children um, in like a clinic setting. They might have faltering growth or allergy or something like that. So it might be that if you're if you find the acute setting a little bit too overwhelming and a little bit emotive, but you want to do paediatrics, you could do something like that where you work in the community with, you know, well looking children, as it were. Yeah, I mean, I definitely on 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 uh, placement, my uh, supervisor experienced one of those moments where it was it was very emotive for the parent um, because the child had possibly i can't remember the exact details and it's probably good that i can't um but the the child wasn't doing great and the parent was very emotional and the dietitian um <laughs> cried at the time not cried like a sort of wailing cry but there was tears sort of falling down her face so it's i think it's um but the way the dietitian sort of explained yeah. it to me in say when we were reviewing it and things like that because some people may say oh is that really professional to cry and that kind of thing and she said i i'd I wouldn't normally it just the the situation and we've all got emotions, but the way she said she understands it was yes, it is very sick to see what the is very saddening yeah. to see what these children go through, but that that sort of drives her and motivates her more and helps her to cope with a lot of the the tricky situations and pushes her a little bit further. And I do actually think yeah. that most people in the healthcare field, whether they be doctors, nurses, therapists, um, dietitians, are driven by a lot of that. Because no one likes to see patients pass away or patients who are really, really ill, whether they be a yeah. child or whether they be a 30, 40-year-old, 60-year-old, 70-year-old adult. 
However, I think we are all driven by that sort of push to really help them and help them to do better. No, absolutely. And I think that, you know, the patients that I see, their parents have been there for, you know, three, maybe four months, particularly during COVID. They've not seen their partner, you know, their child's potentially not seen their dad. They've not seen any siblings. They might not have seen their other children. And they are they are very emotional. And I probably have a parent cry to me at least once a week. And you do have moments where you leave and you're like, oh, my goodness, that was really overwhelming. But to have given that parent the space to cry to you for 15 minutes, to just for them to have like let it out, it's actually quite a privilege that they felt that they were able to be like, oh, I'm just having a really bad time and I want to tell you about it. Admittedly, I'm not one to, to stand there and cry with them, but it is quite, you know, it's, it's a privilege that they're able to open up to you. And it's nice that they had that space to, to, to let that out. You know, I'd much rather they cried for 15 minutes as opposed to said, yes, everything's fine. And then I left the room and then they were just feeling really overwhelmed by themselves. So, um, but yeah, admittedly, we've all had patients die and we've gone to the corridor room for just a little moment to ourselves. <laughs> As, as we all would as humans, because, you know, we're not total robots that are I affected that's by nothing. that's an important but overlooked piece, that we aren't total robots. Our only purpose is not to conduct nutritional assessments and provide nutritional care plans, but it, we do feel for our patients. And I would just, as a side note, encourage anyone who's experienced anything over the past year that they reach out and seek help from someone where needed. So, Chloe, Are there any myths that come up on these courses or things that are going around the rumour mill that people think are needed but maybe aren't? Oh, I was just going to say about um, generally students think you need to do the paediatric masters at Plymouth before you get into paediatrics. And I I didn't do, obviously, I went to paediatrics as soon as I qualified um, from my undergraduate degree. And I know some people do go on to do um, the paediatric masters, whether full-time or do it part-time alongside their current role. But I think people feel that pressure of, oh, I I won't go into paediatrics because I don't want to have to do the master's and it might be too stressful and it might be too much for me. And so I would say that, you know, that's not true. You don't have to do the master's to be able to go on to do further. Obviously, if you've got that kind of motivation and passion for research and that's kind of your thing, then, then absolutely. But I think that no one should feel that pressure. You know, like we just spent a year not being able to see any of our friends and family and doing a master's is intense. You do lose a lot of your free time to doing to doing the studying. So I think no one should feel pressured to give up time with their friends and family where we've literally not been able to do it for a whole year. Is there anything that they you would suggest to students or um, dietitians if they're interested in pediatrics that they should do before going for a job interview or would look good on like when you're reviewing the... Uh, the job application where you go, oh, that's a really good thing for the for people to have. Yeah, I think it's um, I think ha- having just done some some band six interviews, I think that you should go on a course to further your knowledge and help you answer the interview questions better, as opposed to for it to look good on your application. Because I think that you could say that you've attended X, Y, and Z, but actually, if you've not taken anything from it then that is sort of worthless from from my point of view. That being said, I do obviously do study days for people so that they get the opportunity to experience it. There's Dietitians Network, which is a fantastic CPD uh, network, as it were, that do fantastic courses. And we've just, Gosh and um, Dietitians Network have just done this collaboration where we're doing this four-week course with there being two topics every week being released with live Q&As. And it's basically aimed at people that are maybe adult dietitians, maybe students, maybe just got into pediatrics that just can learn more about specialist areas. So there's talks on enteral and parenteral nutrition, 
renal, respiratory, cardiac, PICU, neonatal and allergy. Like it's like the, <laughs> I mean, obviously there are more and you can include probably 20 talks in pediatrics, but I was just trying to condense it down to ones I think I thought would be really valuable for people. So, you know, that could be something that someone might want to do if they're just really interested and have such a thirst for knowledge of, of pediatrics that they could obviously get involved and sign up to that. I'm hoping that in end of July time, I'll do some sort of other study day at some point. Obviously, they're all virtual. I mean, the one benefit of COVID is that you can do these things. It's kind of opened up the platform for virtual learning now, which we just didn't have before. But it's funny because you think, why didn't we have that? Why did we not go on Zoom before? But it seems that COVID has made us do that, which is a good thing. I think it definitely increases accessibility for those um, those students and newly qualified dietitians. And a dietitian working in adults it makes it easier for them to say attend it because obviously if you're working in adults there's no i can't imagine you'd get funded to do a pediatric course unless so it, the ability to go on zoom and have or other net other platforms are available and are used quite often to have one of those educational sessions on sort of a digital platform allows to increase accessibility and often it lowers the price of that ticket so makes it more accessible to other people and they can pay for it out their own funds and they can actually learn something that, that wouldn't be helpful in their in their daily job role but would actually sort of satisfy that thirst for pediatric cpd yeah and no like you know train tickets to london no like extortionate prices like that you know who will who will ever get like that sort of funding for, for travel i don't know ever again no definitely not so you said so on a job application you're not looking for like a list of study days or a list of courses they've done you're really looking for their knowledge and their ability their sort of interest and passion for pediatric dietetics is there any sorts of areas where you think students should focus their attention on would you suggest they go and read all about metabolics and tyrosinemia and uh i probably wouldn't recommend <laughs> that does feel a little intense um for that i think you know if, if they've done courses put it on their application because we're you know every person that does shortlisting for jobs will have different views on it but you know absolutely write it down but I think it's good that when you're writing your actual supporting information you're saying how why that's benefited you you know I went on this course and I'd learned about this that and the other and I've applied it by doing this that and the other shadowing at my trust you know that sort of thing. So it's about what areas they should maybe brush up on because obviously before an interview any interview that I've taken you do a bit of reading reading around the topic almost preparation for that interview so is there any areas that, that you would suggest for pediatric interviews yeah so I guess it's depending on what sort of job you're going for like if you're going for a specialist metabolic job I would look up some metabolic conditions but I think if you're just going for like a general pediatric dietetic post whether that's like a band six rotational post at a tertiary center or you know a band six a district general you have to know the basics of um, cow's milk protein allergy faltering growth maybe a little bit about weight management you know it's those key topics which show that you are that you have a good grounding in pediatrics because if you're a pediatric dietitian that only knows about metabolics in pediatrics that's fantastic but if you ever needed to recover another area you probably wouldn't be that good at it <laughs> because you've never learned anything outside of metabolic. So I would say I would recommend everyone just gets a good grounding in pediatric before they go for a specialist job and read up on the basics of pediatrics, as I said, milk allergy and things. And then there's always the classic like, you know, what's your experience in audit? One about like how you've dealt with conflict in the MDT, one about trust values and, and why you meets the trust values sort of thing are the are the absolute basics 
Um, but yeah, if you were going for a specialist job in in neonates or something like that, you would definitely need to read up on that area because they are going to ask you a question about it. And would you say that any experience they've had in adults, as you're asking those questions, any experience in adults would still be applicable in paediatrics? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, obviously, when it comes to you know MDT working and all those all those key skills of being a dietitian as opposed to just being a paediatric dietitian are really important. So if you worked in adults and had done an audit because you you saw that there was this problem and you've investigated it and this is what the result was so then you've done this that and the other and this is what you're going to do moving forward that is so valuable and that earns you real interview points so it doesn't matter that you did it in adults and this is a pediatric job it's having that initiative to have seen this and followed it through that is really important you know it doesn't always have to just be about pediatrics because those basic dietetic skills are just as valuable and definitely translatable as well think about the first interview we ever yeah. we ever had say as dietitians we might have used experiences from placement experiences from university but we yeah. might have also used experience outside of placement outside of university of where we've used a lot of these skills yeah. and they would be directly applicable to the job role of a dietitian yeah so even if you don't you've never worked in pediatrics you've just been an adult dietitian but actually you've done something outside of your you know some voluntary work with some children you know outside of the acute setting or you know that all very much builds a picture of okay they have good communication skills with children even if it's not from being a pediatric dietitian yet you know like use all of the skills you can think of and all of your experiences to translate about why that is the perfect skill to be a pediatric dietitian something i think that's really useful advice for people going for interviews and i'm I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this might be considering it that's fantastic and all the resources discussed in this podcast will be available in the show notes thank you for having me it's been lovely no Thank you so much for your time. I think it'll be invaluable. I know I found it quite um, informative for myself and all the information will be in the show notes as well as links to the various different educational sessions that uh, Chloe mentioned. Thank you for listening. Great, thank you very much. Bye. Thanks for joining me this week on Dietetics Digest. Make sure to visit my website at dietheticsdigest.com where you can listen to the podcast. Or why not consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Smart Radio, Spotify, or basically just ask Alexa and you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found this show valuable, you could do one of two things. Firstly, if you could leave a review on the podcast that you're listening to, maybe it be Apple Podcasts or Stitcher Smart Radio. And if you could tell a friend about the podcast, that'll be really helpful to help grow the podcast more. Thank you so much for your support and have a lovely weekday wherever you are.